everyone. This is Claire Edwards, and I'm here with Michelle Seamal, and we are part of Divorce Doula. I'm an attorney who got really aware that my clients are going through a lot more than just law, and I want to help them navigate their emotions, their hearts, their mind-body connection. And so today, and Michelle will say more about this, but today we're going to be talking with y'all about polyvagal theory and the automatic, autonomic nervous system, and how that's going to really come into play when clients are going through court issues. Yeah. So I'm Michelle. Um, as I've introduced before, I have a background in psychology. Um, so that's where a lot of this is coming from. And I don't know if I've ever explicitly mentioned that I'm working on the divorce doula program, but that is my role right now in my project is developing um, these different resources and sessions for people going through divorce. Um, so today we're talking about polyvagal theory. Um, but in explaining polyvagal theory, I first need to explain the autonomic nervous system because the polyvagal theory is a theory of that nervous system and how understanding the nervous system explains our experience of basically everything in life. Um, so the autonomic nervous system controls our heartbeat. It controls our digestion, body temperature, and most importantly, it controls our stress response. Um, so if you've ever heard of the flight or fight response, so what happens like when you feel scared or you feel surprised or shocked and your heart rate increases, your breathing increases. Um, a great example is public speaking, how you're just feeling all these things and your voice starts shaking, you can't control it. Um, so that's a really good example of the autonomic nervous system preparing us to fight or flight. So it's a survival thing, but it comes up in a lot more situations than life or death situations and when we're in actual physical danger. Um, this can happen in times of emotional danger as well. Um, so basically the nervous system picks up on cues in our environment of whether or not we're safe and it communicates to our higher brain structures what we should do in that situation or what we need to do. Um, so there's three different states that we go through in a day in our autonomic nervous system. So we have the connected state. Um, it's also referred to as ventral vagal, which is just referring to a nerve in the brain, um, in the front of the brain. Um, so that's when we're really calm and we're relaxed and we tend to be very socially engaged. Um, so typically it's when we feel safe. Um, and from here, we have our more rational thinking. Um, so we're able to problem solve. We're able to make choices clearly. Um, we're able to kind of decipher through information. And it's also where we tend to be curious and creative and compassionate, empathetic, things like that. And so the connected state is the first of three states. Is the connected state kind of the aspirational state? And how can clients stay connected? Yes, yeah, so that's an interesting question because the aspirational state it's definitely, I describe it as the state of being our best selves. So when I imagine me at my best self and then learning about the connected state, I'm like, oh, that's just me when I'm awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm really connected, when I'm engaged. Um, so in order to stay in that state, um, I don't even think that that's realistic. I think that it's about acknowledging that we're gonna stray away from that state and then learning how to function within other states that aren't connected. Um, which naturally we know how to regulate. So eventually we're going to find our way back to connected and back to calm, but it's just about not getting super freaked out when we become disconnected. So it's kind of an awareness thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, so as for clients, especially those going through divorce or dealing with custody battles, um, they might not be connected when they go to court. Um, going to court can be kind of a freaky situation for people can scare people, make them nervous. Um, so we can't expect them to be connected when they walk into the courtroom, but we can give them the tools that they need to accept like, okay, 
I'm really, really nervous right now. My heart rate is high. My breathing is uncontrollable, but I can do this. Like I know how to function. I know how to think when I'm in this state. This is just physiological reactions to being scared. So what are the other two states? The other two states, um, they're technically described of when danger is detected, but they can absolutely happen without danger. Um, so the first one is mobilized. So that's when our sympathetic nervous system starts to kick in. And that's when the heart rate is going to start increasing breathing, things like that. Um, adrenaline and cortisol are also released. Um, so if you've ever had an adrenaline rush before, um, that's what that is. So that's our fight or flight response. And if you're like fingers get tingly or your legs kind of start to feel numb, that's because blood is rushing to your muscles because it's literally preparing you to either fight or flight. So take action in some way, whether that's running away or confronting the situation. Um, so again, mobilization can happen without danger. Um, a good example I think would be just like play, like you have to be mobilized when you're playing because you have to engage your breathing and your muscles. Um, so it's not necessarily about danger, but in the face where, or in the face of a threat, emotional or otherwise, um, we tend to become anxious and avoidant. Um, we tend to become aggressive and we also tend to catastrophize things if I'm saying that right, I don't, I can never say that word, but dramatize, you know, really make it more of a bigger deal than it is because we're so overwhelmed emotionally and also physiologically. So if I'm going through a custody battle and I walk into my attorney's office and I say, I'm going to lose my children. And then my attorney comes back at me and says, yeah, would you do that? You think you're going to lose your children? He sued me in court. Well, the attorney's probably going to respond. What have you done you know and the mother will sit there or the father whoever it is who's scared of losing their children will sit there and say well no I'm not on drug I'm not taking you know substance abuse having substance abuse problems I'm not having alcohol problems we don't have a violent history or background and I'm not in some kind of truly DCFS is going to get called on my children's state but I'm still scared I'm going to lose my children and yeah. that, that client will sit there and truly be scared. They're going to hundred percent lose their children, not the 50, 50 scare, but they'll be truly scared. They're going to completely lose their children. That is a perfect example of catastrophic thinking. Um, yeah. That's an example of what we through the divorce doula program are trying to alleviate for clients. Like they'll feel yeah. it still, but if they can ground themselves quickly, that's, that's what we're trying to help. Right. Yeah. Grounding themselves quickly is a perfect way to describe it because initially what people are feeling threatened by is, is the change that they're about to go through. And mm -hmm. I did this with a client this morning where I told her that we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Like you can't imagine all the worst case scenarios, but with what just happened to you this morning, like, let's talk about that and let's break that down. Where can we take action there? Mm -hmm. And then we'll worry about the rest later, you know, because you can't help but think of all of the possibilities, including the bad ones at one time. And that's fine, but it's just about not getting stuck there and not going down the rabbit hole of anxiety and anger and all those emotions. Um, so yeah, giving people the tools to ground themselves quickly is the perfect way to put it. Um, okay, so the third um, phase, what am I calling it? The dates. <laughs> so we've done connected, we've done mobilized, and now we're about to do Immobilized, immobilized, um, disconnected. So this is the back of your brain stuff. Um, and this is when danger is considered to be most great or most pertinent, you feel most threatened. Um, so you can't fight or run. 
So as opposed to blood rushing to your muscles and your heart rate increasing and breathing increasing, everything just decreases because your autonomic nervous system is basically shutting you down. Um, another thing that happens at this point is endorphins are released. Um, so that's a pain numbing hormone. So it's literally like your body is trying to block out this unpleasant experience. Um, almost protecting us from feeling too much and becoming overwhelmed. Um, so again, this can happen without actual danger. Again, when we feel emotionally threatened or just shocked even. Um, but some things that tend to happen to our thinking are that we become very pessimistic, um, very hopeless feeling. Um, and even in an existential purpose, if it's long-term, we can become devoid of, of purpose. So like kind of questioning like what even, what even is the point, right? So then you can imagine how that might affect styles of interaction with people. Um, yeah, it'll affect interaction. And um, I was talking with another attorney recently about a client she had who, in Louisiana, we have domiciliary parent, and that means you're in charge of the the, the client, the child's religion, education, and health decisions. And this woman had been in the courtroom, and she had said, "I choose not to be domicile parent," and the court had taken down the stipulation that she made with the father of the children. But then she came into this other attorney's office and explained, I was never told, no one told me that as a domicile parent, as not being a domicile parent, I can't make healthcare decisions. And we do see this pretty frequently where we have a client come into the office and we know through legal procedures, they have been told over and over and over, what is a domicile parent? What is the difference between joint custody, sole custody? How likely am I to get child support? These are things that attorneys absolutely cover with clients, but because clients are in such an emotional state, and I think this is exactly what it looks like. They, they let their lack of hope and belief, they, they let this numbness just take over to the point where they don't have access to the rational parts of their brain. They just get stressed right. and don't hear things. Right. Um, and we want through coaching for that to not happen. <laughs> we really yeah. want through coaching for clients in an attorney's office to fully communicate both giving their story and receiving what laws are out there and how they're expected to behave with their children in this new state. Yeah. Well, and that's important for, I mean, the value of coaching, right? So I imagine that as I want people to walk into an attorney's office and, and be connected. Um, and even in the sense, or in the event that they are connected, when they do have custody explained to them, they may not have done the personal work of imagining what if not, which is great to be optimistic and like hope that it all works out for you. But um, one of the strategies that I plan to use in coaching is to help people envision like, cool, this is what you want, but what's gonna happen if you don't get it? That's very true. So I think that in maintaining a connected and calm state, I think it would be important to almost engage yourself, almost engage yourself in what would make you most anxious so that when you possibly do experience that for the first time in court, that it's not it's okay, you've been there before, you know that you can handle it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we mentioned, or you just touched on how when we're in mobilized and immobilized, we start to lose access to the more rational parts of our brain. Um, so again, where we might be able to make decisions and just generally think rationally and comprehend things and be able to hear the other person. Um, so when we're in this state, we tend to become very, very, very reactive. Um, we also tend to misread social cues with people. Um, so we can feel threatened by people even in conversation because we're, we're just threatened, they become a threat too. Um, and then we become disengaged and we also become very, almost like control freaks. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I just feel like I have to do something and I don't even know what to do, but it's, it's an escape mechanism is what 
the person is trying to do. Um, so again, bringing that back to divorce, bringing that back to relationship issues and parenting issues. If you're in that place, you're literally not able to communicate with another person. You're not even able to perceive somebody who might be coming at you in an affectionate, caring and supportive way. You're going to perceive them as a threat. So another thing is it's kind of being in tune with yourself like that and recognizing that you're there and acknowledging, I need to take a step back. That's a great example. And then I think I heard you say misreading social cues mm -hmm. by interpreting others as threatening. Do you think there are some kind of communication ways that parents can help themselves <laughs> not get so caught up in social misreading? Like, could they text more? Would that be helpful? Um, with, with who, like communication with who? With the other parent so that they don't accidentally parent. misread something right. so that everything is just taken on a literal basis. Yeah. I'm not sure because now even in text, it's like people, they're like, oh, they only said K instead of okay. And why did he use a period instead of an exclamation point? Or what's that question mark for? Um, so I think it would be more or less not even cutting out the misreading of social cues, but just acknowledging like, I, I might be misreading this. Even come back, it doesn't have to be a significant amount of time. Um, I know they say it takes, I think, 45 minutes for our bodies to calm down physiologically. But again, at least acknowledging that we're there and being like, all right, before I respond in this manner, let me see if I can look at this more rationally five minutes from now. That's a good point. Time helps things like that too. 45 absolutely. minutes can really make a difference. Yeah. And if you can afford to spend that time, then absolutely. Yeah. And it takes self-control to stay stepped away because especially with the phone, because you can just run right back to it and just start typing away, but you can also make the choice not to. That's a great example. Great example. Thank you for that. Um, Which for coaching for our 24 hour availability, somebody <laughs> could just call and be like, I'm about to send a really terrible text and be like, stay on the phone with me for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Cause we have those techniques to help deescalate the brain and get the brain back to that connected state. Right. So what about, um, we had talked about a concept about regulation and dysregulation for the autono autonomic nervous system mm -hmm. and how that relates to trauma. How does that all tie together? The regulated nervous system um, fluidly moves through those three states that we already talked about. Um, we do this all throughout the day in all sorts of situations. Um, and this fluidity and this flexibility is what allows us to bounce back from stress or stressful events, um, even something as simple as seeing a spider and then having to bounce back like, okay, scared, but like fine. And then calm yourself down. So that's us in a normal regulated autonomic nervous system functioning. Um, but then dysregulation would be when we're constantly exposed to stress or there's trauma, um, we become dysregulated in the sense that our autonomic nervous system is like a faulty alarm system to where it always thinks that there's danger at hand. It always thinks that it's threatened. So we're just living in this um, defensive state. Um, and that leads to um, all sorts of behaviors such as misuse of drugs and alcohol, um, overeating, things like that. It also leads to some physical and emotional symptoms. So people might experience chronic um, gastrointestinal issues um, or immune system issues, but that comes down to the stress being dysregulated. And then people stray away from the things that they love. So their self-care routines, things that make them thrive personally because they're too focused on surviving because everything around them is a threat. Everybody around them is a threat. So then when we think about connection with other people, if we constantly feel threatened and people are a threat, then how are we supposed to connect? Even if we want to connect, our autonomic nervous system isn't really going to let us. 
And so right um, now we're talking about this on the adult level. So this is mm-hmm. adults' nervous systems. Children are still building their nervous system and they're the only way they can do that is through affect regulation of their caregivers. How mm-hmm. does a dysregulated parent affect their child? Yeah, and that's a really important point because attachment and interaction with caregivers is super important. So if that caregiver is not safe and that caregiver is not stable, then the child's autonomic nervous system is going to develop in a kind of faulty way. So the same way that ours becomes faulty when we're stressed, theirs is just going to develop faulty. And then when they become adults, they're going to have trouble establishing connections and might even reject connections or slightly make connections, but still feel extremely uncomfortable in those connections because their foundation wasn't safe. Got it. So how can the parents or the caretakers better regulate their nervous system? So that's kind of where the coaching is going to come in. Um, Children involved or no children involved is just going to be learning how to calm down or learning how to disengage when you're not calm and disengage as in step away from the situation. Um, So again, acknowledging that you're there and that you can't, you can't interact right now. Um, So there's a lot of different ways that we can self-regulate and self-regulation just refers to being able to maintain that balance or reconnect with that balance essentially. Um, So there's lots of different tools for that. Um, Of course, there's clinical therapy or there's talk therapy or there's journaling where you can ask yourself um, what you need to become calm. But again, in order to know what you need to become calm, you have to be able to be aware of what it looks like to not be calm. So that would be getting in touch with your body and realizing just tuning in. What does your breathing sound like? What does your heart rate feel like? Are you sweating? You know, things like that. Um, And then there's the theory of co-regulation as well, which is really neat. Um, And that's just that if we surround our stressed out and angry and depressed cells with other stressed out and angry and depressed people, that's not necessarily good for us. And that can even go into an example of listening to sad music when you're sad. Like it feels good to sit there and cry, but also it's not necessarily good to reinforce that autonomic nervous system reaction because you're basically just keeping yourself there. So it's also important to surround yourself with the company of people who are calm and who make you feel safe and who are present for you. Um, those people tend to be the best for us. So when people are not available, it's definitely good to listen to that sad music. But if people are available, right. let them help you out of your sadness. <laughs> yes. And then of course, it's not about, you know, it's getting into your feelings, but that goes back to the goal of the autonomic nervous system regulation too. The goal is not to be connected all the time. The goal is to be able to move into these other states and be able to experience it and move right back out of it. And also be able to function in the event that you do kind of get stuck where you are. And same thing with our emotions. It's not, you know, it's good to experience them, but it's not good to get stuck in them or let them control us. Very good examples. What about divorce? So why are we wanting, and I know we've pepper this already so far with a bunch mm-hmm. of examples, but what are some concepts you want to drive home about how the nervous system affects people who are going through divorce? Um, the main point is that if we know that the autonomic nervous system rouse itself up in the face of danger or threat during divorce, we feel threatened in our security. We feel threatened in our home. We feel threatened with the connection of our family, friends, you know, you have this whole system built that is essentially crumbling. Um, And then also you're dealing with a lot of stressful situations such as court and lots of legal and financial decisions. Um, So you're in that stress mode, you're in danger mode. Um, So it's important to be able to acknowledge that and 
be able to step forward. So even though you are kind of cut off from those more rational sides of your brain, it's learning how to get back there so that you can make these decisions. So you can have that conversation so that you can hear the other person so that you can go to court. You can go into your attorney's office and hear and respond and receive. Awesome. And then, I mean, we're, we're, I know I am an attorney, but I'm on this podcast with you more so to stress to people how important coaching is and taking care of one's mental health is when going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. So how does this nervous system stuff affect people who are seeking coaching? Like how, how is coaching better than no coaching basically? Right. Um, so for me as a coach, I am going to use the body as a coaching point. So if they're coming in super stressed out, I'm going to have them tune into what stress feels like which is essentially going to be getting them in touch with their body. Like what kind of things are you experiencing? Where are you experiencing it? Um, maybe not that direct, but just getting people in touch with that and so that they can understand their triggers. Um, and then also what does their best self, most connected self look like? Then we can start making plans on how um, to get them there. Oh, that's a good example. Best self, the most connected self is not something people tend to let themselves think about. Right. So to be able to have a coach prompt a client really lets them dig into that. I love this part of me and I'm allowed to talk about what I love about myself. Yeah. And that can be a hard place to go when you're stuck in disengaged mode or disconnected mode, but I can also snap you right out of it. Exactly. And then what about reframing? You've talked to me before about reframing. Yeah. Reframing is, is a really cool tactic. Um, so it's about reframing your picture or retelling your story. Um, so that's based on the theory that the stories that we tell about our experiences are constructed based on the state that we're in when we write those stories. So if I'm in this anxious, avoidant, frantic state, when I have an experience and then the way that I tell that story is frantic and scared and anxious, whatever it is, then I'm going to keep telling myself that story. And that's a narrative that reinforces me staying in that disconnected um, and disengaged, immobilized, I'm ready to fight phase. And that is a theory also of how trauma happens is that an event itself is not traumatizing, but our response to it, the way we perceive it is what creates the stress. Um, So yeah, through that people can just kind of start to change the way that they think. And when you change the way that you think about something, the way that you experience it is a little bit different. So, yeah, I don't know. As a coach, I think that providing the tools for people to shift in and out of these states is, is of value to us as coach. And these are the true self-care tools, you know, better than going to get your nails done or better than going to, I mean, it's always good for a walk in the park, but it's just these, these tools that you always have in your back pocket, even in the courtroom, when you're nervous, you have these tools on hand and you can engage them. And so I would argue, and I think I'm not making too hard of an argument, but vagal exercises would simply include taking three deep breaths and allowing the mind to connect to the body, mm-hmm. okay? being aware Um, For example, right now I'm sitting in an office and I can hear the cars outside of me. So allowing myself to hear what I hear, or I just switched it from heat to cool. And so allowing my body to feel, okay, my temperature is comfortable in the state that I'm in. And then as we're recording this, I'm looking at a screen. So, well, gosh, this is definitely putting a lot of stress on my nervous system because my eyes are looking at this blue light. Maybe mm-hmm. if I take a walk in a second, that'll help calm me down because I'll be able to take myself out of the state of being in front of a computer and put myself in the state of being in direct sunlight. 
Right. So is that correct to say that that's the kind of sensory experiences we're hoping clients will pick up? Absolutely. And that as a coach, that's the exact tactic that I would engage is I would be like, breathe. And then as they're breathing, I would start instructing, notice the sounds around you, notice your temperature, notice different sensations in different parts of your body. Just notice them. Don't try to change them. Just move, move forward with it and acknowledge it. And I've personally pulled myself out of really anxious moments by doing these things, by tuning in and being like, all right, my heart's racing but I'm starting to calm down just by acknowledging that my heart is racing. I'm able to control my breathing when I notice that my breathing is out of control. So these feel really intuitive the way that you and I are talking about it. Um, and I don't wanna overcomplicate things, but I do kind of wanna give credit where credit is due. <laughs> and I know that you and I are both pretty avid yoga goers or Pilates goers. And so we're able to put ourselves into an hour long class where we spend an hour focusing on our bodies. So for persons who aren't used to that, this might come off as a bit hokey, but mm -hmm. for those of us who are used to these exercise programs, and honestly, I've done a lot of research into meditation and mindfulness and yoga itself. It has history 2000 years old plus. There are Tibetan monks who their entire lives are focused on breath work and very minimal meals per day, but very hooked into their own experiences and therefore forgiveness comes quickly to them. And mm -hmm. so to allow persons going through divorces to have access to like what you imagine, you know, like an avatar monk goes through. Like, I mean, that is a beautiful goal that we would certainly have for clients. Yeah. And I understand absolutely how it can seem scary or like, what, what are you talking about? That's not going to work. That's silly. Um, but I also plan to drop it on clients and they don't even know that they're doing it um, because that's certainly happened to me before where I'm not saying, okay, we're going to do mindfulness exercise to calm you down, but you just start talking. And even as a coach, you're able to control your tone of voice to bring people into that mode um, and just bring awareness again to, you could even say, I see that you're breathing really hard. Your hands are shaking a little bit. Like, let's take a moment to tune into that um, without making it sound too meditative too premeditated. That's yeah, that's a fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm Claire Edwards and I run the Claire Edwards law firm in Lafayette, Louisiana, and also divorce doula. And we are family law coaches in the Lafayette area, but we are certainly open to take clients from wherever. Uh, Michelle is trained through CDC certified divorce coaching, and I'm trained for the kitchen table, uh, which is a local Lafayette group. And we are so thankful that y'all tuned in with us today. <laughs>